0: had this moment where I was like I'm fixing the broken person but what happens if we fixed ourselves as women before we were broken what happens if we actually recognized at the point of things starting to go a little pear-shaped that we got curious then
1: welcome to the self-love podcast the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. It gives me great pleasure this week to introduce you to a beautiful woman, Dr. Nat Kringertis. She is amazing, and if you ever get the opportunity to see her live, or if you know her already, you will know why. I'm so excited to share her with you this week. Nat is a two times best selling author, two times podcast host, and all round women's health and natural fertility practitioner. She founded Melbourne's home of natural health clinic, her clinic, the Pagoda Tree, where she has helped over 20,000 women rescue their hormones and reclaim their best life. You may even know her from an old online TV series, Health Talks, or her latest book, Beautiful You. If you feel there has to be another way, there is. She's here and talking this week in this podcast about giving us not only one other option, but many options around hormone health. Nat believes there just isn't one way, and she's on a mission to educate and empower women just like you. And for you men tuning in, this is a cool way to get clued up on what makes these women, us women, tick. It's also really powerful to get to understand and love your body and take control of your hormone health. They're not the bad guys. What I love about Nat is that she's here to help you ditch the stress. And you'll hear in this podcast just how much stress is impacting from young women going through puberty, from the age, young girls from the age of five, right through to how stress really does impact pregnancy, fertility, our cycles, and right through to menopause. And I think you'll get a real understanding why there's such confusion and endless disappointment around understanding what it is that makes a woman's body tick. But you're going to love this week. You're going to absolutely love this podcast. This woman is fun. She's knowledgeable. She has so much passion around, as I said, empowering women to take responsibility and claim back their health. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Self Love Podcast. I know you're going to enjoy the show. So as you can hear, I am especially pumped today to have one of my dearest mentors. She probably doesn't realize it. she's someone I look up to a hell of a lot. I follow and absolutely love her humor, but her intelligence, her amazing ability to get her information across. And she really is someone who knows her stuff. And if you are into hormones and understanding these precious substances that make our life tick, then we have the beautiful Dr. Nat on the show today. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. I've got goosebumps now. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> you are someone. I think if you remember
1: rightly, back at the Wellness Summit a number of years ago, had I known you were in the audience, I would have shat myself. Literally, <laughs> um, I'd been following. I do remember you. that. I do remember that. <laughs> I've been following you for quite a few years, and then to know that you were in the audience when you came up to me afterwards, I was just like, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Major girl crush!" So beautiful. <laughs> Nat, that I just I have had the privilege of not only be meeting you but you know being at different events with you but you are someone who has really dedicated her life not only to family and to her community but also to the power of women's health could you give us a little brief background as to how you came to doing all of this stuff and maybe for people that don't know who you are what got you into this this passionate yeah. field that you're in?
0: Thank you. Well, I mean I have my own story as we all do and I had horrible periods as a teenager, but it was certainly not why I started in the area of women's health. In fact, I pretty boldly said I do not want to treat women's health. Hormonal women are crazy and that's just not my jam. Like I just I don't want to have that responsibility. And we're talking I started in the industry around seventeen years ago and things were very different then. Women had a lot of questions that weren't being answered as to why they felt hormonal, but didn't know what that meant or definitely could see a correlation with their symptoms and their cycle, but no one was putting the pieces together for them. And so I guess eventually I just surrendered. I was like, okay, these poor women, they need help and they're coming to me. And I kind of just felt like there was a little bit of a, a shift in my perception or my perspective and that maybe I needed to actually step up to the challenge. And so I really just started becoming more curious around their signs and symptoms, that, which were things that we would never learnt when I'd studied at school. You know, what I guess came to my awareness was that these were modern symptoms as a result of modern lifestyle. And that's why we hadn't ever talked about them or seen them before, because they were relatively new and medicine and science hadn't caught up yet. And so, you know, I had to start to think outside the box, ask permission to really practice, because that's what we're doing as practitioners anyway, but practice on my patients and use trial and error to really start to get some different outcomes for a lot of these very desperate women. And with that came influx of women wanting help for fertility and so I was so lucky and privileged to be able to support so many women before fertility was what it is today now we're so lucky that there's so much more information when it comes to our reproductive health but certainly then there wasn't and I went on to write my first book well and good it was right place right time I started writing all about fertility and what we need to do to make ourselves ready for amazing little babies But in doing that, I had this moment where I was like, I'm fixing the broken person. But what happens if we fixed ourselves as women before we were broken? What happens if we actually recognized at the point of things starting to go a little pear-shaped that we got curious then rather than just shut down our symptoms and so that really has led me more recently on this path more towards young women and educating young women and educating mothers as to how they can best support their daughters through not just the transition of puberty but from a little girl and right through it until you know it doesn't ever stop really does it and and really helping women to step up to this I believe it's such a privilege but also a necessity for us to be able to be an example to help this next generation
1: yeah it's incredible really and i love the fact that you got called to it even though it was something you didn't want often we teach what we most need to learn oh, yeah One thing I'm fascinated about, we're not taught to embrace our cycle where we grow up with mothers and grandmothers going bloody hormones or hating on periods or yet it's the fabrication of what makes us unique. It's what houses these beautiful little miracles. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you think that's the case? Why are we blaming hormones for everything?
0: Well, I think we've been conditioned to accept that as women, it's going to be awful and that it should be, that that's just your rite of passage, that you're going to have this time every month that you feel horrible, that you might be in pain, that you might be hormonal, whatever that means for you. And we're not having the conversation that Whilst it's common to have symptoms it's not actually normal to have symptoms and that's your body's way of telling you that something isn't quite right. And so if you are watching your mum every month in debilitating pain or just hating on her body, what sort of example does that then set for us as this next generation to embrace ourselves? We're not necess- it's it's not necessarily what your mum realizes that she's done. But is what it's what we've seen to accept as being a given. And so I think that's actually how we change this. And I actually just shared a post today about this where I've said, how can we expect our daughters to love their bodies when we can't even accept that we might be complaining each and every month, but yet we accept them to love, we expect them to love themselves. And if we can't love ourselves and give ourselves enough care to A, be curious as to what these symptoms mean and B, do something about it. How are we ever going to expect our daughters to do that? And so it starts with us. It really does start with us. We have the opportunity to create change. We have more awareness around this. We have more resources to do something about it. And so imagine if we all did that. I think that would just be such a game changer for women's health if we could accept and the responsibility of looking after ourselves better and then be this amazing example for our children. And, you know, they're lucky. They're living at a time where there's so much more information available. The the um, education department and what they're learning about in schools is so much better than what we were taught. And so this to me makes no is is just a no-brainer. We need to embrace this, we need to accept that it you know, it's not supposed to be problematic and then if it is, we need to do something very quickly about it.
1: It's a shame really because for so many people, particularly young women, in my experience if there's a problem from skin through to headaches through to not sleeping, the answer is we'll put you on the pill. Why is that?
0: Well, I think a couple of reasons We want, we want an outcome. We want to treat something, and we want an outcome. And so we go to our GP. Often that's the only thing that's suggested because they don't really have any other tools. Your GP doesn't sit there and sit aside like I would for a patient, an hour to an hour and a half to look through everything and to work out why you might be presented with symptoms. Yet you are going to them for a solution, and they need to provide one. That's their duty of care. I think also just. To to speak to that, we often go to our GP for a problem we probably need to be speaking to our gynecologist about. And there's a really big gap between the the information and the education of a GP and someone who has a specialist area. And so I think that's often a problem where things get missed and where at that point we probably should be looking into why we have symptoms, testing hormones, and properly looking and profiling them rather than just the Band-Aid solution of the pill. So I feel like there's a few parts there where there's disconnect. First of all, it's that initial encounter where you prescribe something that might not be right for you because as mothers also we panic about our daughters and I think this is the problem more than anything is as our daughters go through changes and hormone fluctuations, we don't necessarily understand what they're supposed to look like for a teenager. And so this is where the problem starts is often teens are being prescribed the pill. And the one thing I want to say to mothers especially is that girls' hormones don't sexually mature until the age, around the age of 21. And it's very normal for us to see fluctuations as a result of the external environment and internal environment for young women as their hormones find their rhythm. So that might mean that there are changes and sometimes periods are delayed and that's not necessarily abnormal and so this is the time we often panic without looking at the reason as to why something's happening or understanding that that could potentially be normal and this is often at the time that we are prescribed the pill but let's use the example of if you are prescribed the pill as a 16 year old and you take the pill for let's say 10 years when you transition off the pill as a 26-year-old, you are as sexually mature as your 16-year-old self. And that's where there can be a massive disconnect because your hormones haven't got to continue to develop as they should. And as that 26-year-old, you might be starting to think about starting a family, wanting to, or maybe just wanting to actually explore your hormones a little bit more, only to find that you come off the pill and you've got this 16-year-old situation that you're trying to deal with and so it's not any wonder that we see problems when we transition off the pill because we've masked symptoms for a really long time but also we need to go through that process of maturation. So I think that's a really important thing to talk about and the research suggests that the longer that we can refrain from taking synthetic hormones as a developing teenager and young woman, the less impact it seems to have ongoing overall. And that's the reason why it's because if we were to wait a little bit longer for our hormones to be mature, then it's going to potentially be less problematic. But also I think that the the older you are before you take the pill, the more you know your own body. And I think as a 16 year old, I don't know that we know our body where it's such a strange time. There's so many pressures and stresses, and then there's puberty thrown in the mix. And it can feel very, very confronting, I think, that time in our life, whereas even just fast forward two years as an 18-year-old, I think you know yourself a little bit more as an 18-year-old than opposed to a, a teenager or a you know, 15 or 16-year-old. And then if you were to take the pill, you might be able to then decide if that actually feels right for you. Is your body responding in the right way? I'm most certainly not here to tell you you shouldn't take it but I just don't think we get all the information when it is prescribed as to how problematic it can be for a lot of women. And it's one thing to take it for contraception, but it's definitely another thing to take it to treat your hormones. When it doesn't actually do that, it just shuts them down. So it's about exploring all of our options, gaining as much information as possible and making the right decision for you. And that's very individualized. I don't think anyone can do that. And then- constantly checking in with yourself should you choose to use the pill how do I feel do I feel good and you know that you you get so much information by just checking in with yourself to begin with so I don't think any of this really happens or we're not necessarily not necessarily aware of this we don't talk about it like this at the moment and I think if we were to have more information I don't know I feel like we'd make some different decisions around this I really do that 's why the information's not there or why we 're not talking about it. is it taboo i don't think that there's enough time in a medical conversation to be consultation to be having the conversation I really don't and like I said that do- you 're going to your doctor and you want an outcome and so they give you an, they give you a solution and that 's problematic in itself um, other than that I really don 't know I really don 't have an answer as to why I think I think it's I don't, you know, this could be a problematic thing to say. I think it's lazy medicine. I really do. And I think there's some wonderful health providers out there, some wonderful doctors, some amazing gynecologists and integrative doctors that do a really good job of of looking at the overall picture, profiling hormones and being able to help women understand what's actually going on for them, but then also to provide them with options. And so I do, I actually do think it's a bit lazy to think that you could just prescribe the pill and that's it. And then mum's happy, daughter's happy, everybody's happy. But are they actually? Because if you look at some of the side effects, it can be pretty problematic for a lot of people. And also, I have to say, I don't see the women that are out there fist pumping the air, loving their best life on the pill. They're not my They're not my people. <laughs> I'm sure they exist. Um, but the one thing I have to say, Kim, the one thing that people say to me when they transition off the pill, time and time again, they'll say, I didn't know what it was like to feel like me. I feel like my I've found myself again. And that is because the pill alters. If you think about it, you just said it at the beginning. Our hormones are this symphony orchestra that need to work in harmony. And if they don't, it's a disaster. And so one little cog in the wheel can have a massive knock-on effect to everything else and so whilst you might be able to utilize the pill to manage some symptoms say of excruciating period pain there might be other signs and symptoms that are a direct result of using it and we're not talking about this enough nor are we saying okay i'm making the decision to take the pill what can i do to support my body should i decide that this is the best option for me right now And I think just having this awareness and these conversations and more of these conversations is necessary for us to recognise that there are options. And I think that's the other thing. We're often presented as the pill is the only option.
1: I agree. And I think that's what's so challenging for mums because they don't know any different. Could you just explain to us before I come back to... um, maybe the implications of the pill or taking hormonal even right up and through menopause, HRT, would you mind just explaining to us what actually is happening to a woman going through puberty, then through our childbearing years, and then what exactly is menopause? Could you give us the, the transition of what is actually occurring for a woman? Do you know how many women I know my age who actually aren't even aware of what menopause is except hot flushes?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we're always going through stages and phases. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily pay attention to, especially once we kind of get into our 30s, we kind of lump 30 to 50 in just one big category, (laughs) which really, if you think about the way that your hormones work, and if you've watched the general trend of your hormones over time, is not how we work. We tend to work on approximately 7 year cycles and each 7 years we go through the next transition and so if you want to look at that just by very very simple terms around the age of 7 or 8 you'll often see young girls start to show signs that they're beginning to go through the, those changes it you, it starts with usually you see breast p- buds develop you might notice a little bit of body odor and you know it's at this time that the adrenals activate and start to turn on the function and the the communication between the brain and the reproductive system. And so we start to see these little nudges towards puberty and they can come and go at that time too. And that's really normal. I remember watching Olivia and it was like one day she had breast buds, and the next day they'd disappear and then they'd be back again. And I was like, this is torture. Like, let's just go already, you know? And so And then over the next seven years is really when things start to become activated and we start to see changes within a young girl's body, pubic hair, the breasts develop, and it's usually around a year later that we start to see from those changes that we see the period arrive. Um, And so obviously I think that's one of the major events in a woman's life is getting her period and, and that maturation again of those hormones at that particular time. Then we continue to go through the next phase which is when it like I said that section next sort of phase of sexual maturation from 14 to 21 and I mentioned before our hormones are generally should have found their groove by around the age of 21 but between 14 to 21 is a very interesting time around the age of 16 we tend to go through a stage that mimics polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS and this can be a really problematic time not because it's not supposed to happen it is but it's often the time that as parents we panic because we start to see irregularities within the in the cycle and so if we are seeing irregularities within this cycle then it's our time that we go oh my goodness we need to take you off to the doctor we need to work out what's going on but it's actually really normal and I think just even knowing that that's normal even giving yourself a little bit of space to know actually her period doesn't have to be really established until she's in her 20s gives us some space to stand back and observe what else might be influencing the cycle and so we go through that that stage around the age of 16 and then we kind of transition out of that and by the time like i said by the time we're 21 we should really have an established menstrual cycle this is when we're starting to move into our peak fertile years that and i think we also have the maturity to be able to look after tiny humans it's not just about us anymore we might start to think about that but at the same time we're having babies later and later and that's people's choice and that's fine Um, and so if you keep on following the trend here and you're looking at then 28, 35, we start to see more gentle shifts, I think, but we might start to notice that definitely in our twenties, our periods are, you know, we don't know that they're longer, but they are generally, we bleed from five to seven days. And as we move into our thirties, you can start to see little shifts, just like, um, the periods become a bit shorter, um, and then they become a bit lighter. And then when we move into our forties, they can become heavier, and then they, be, they can become sporadic. And as we move from perimenopause, is the, we say starts around the age of 35. And that doesn't mean you're menopausal. That just means you're in that next phase where your body starts to um, get ready to transition over those sort of 10 to 15 or so years. And I think that can come with a host of various symptoms that are all wild and wonderful. But it's not really until we start to see the shift and the the, um, the decline of the menzies or the period or the regularity of it that we start to recognize that we're in that phase of going into menopause. I think the biggest challenge for women nowadays is the role of the ovaries and the role of the ovaries throughout all of this has been ovulation and then creating certain hormones through the cycles. But as we get older and we approach these premenopausal years, the ovaries get ready to pass their job onto the adrenals. The adrenals are obviously what secrete your stress hormones, primarily cortisol and adrenaline. And high levels of cortisol and adrenaline can be problematic to our sex hormones in the balance or that symphony that we spoke about before. And so what we can see happen is that if the adrenals are overworked and for so many women... They really are overworked. We are incredible human beings and we are so amazing at multitasking, but something has to give and it's usually our sex hormones. And so what we can see happening is rather than the ovaries pass the job onto the adrenals because they're ready to to pack their bags and have a different job at the time of menopause, the ovaries are knocking on the door of the adrenals going, I'm ready. I'm ready to pass on. I want to pass the job on. And the adrenals are like, oh, not today, honey. I seriously cannot factor this in. Like, you've got to be kidding me you know, you're in your early 50s, maybe you're working, um, you know, you're working full time, you're looking after teenagers, or maybe you're not past that. Maybe you're even moving into years of looking after grandchildren, you're literally running almost two households and working and trying to fit everything in. And what we're seeing is that just the stress of daily life is really impacting the body's ability to pass on the baton, pass that flag over from the ovaries to the adrenals. And so with that can have with, with that we can see some pretty what I would call lengthy menopause. So women aren't transitioning quickly, but they're also not transitioning smoothly. And so this is when we start to see menopause become a medical condition when it's not, it's it's just another phase that you go through and that can come with lots of symptoms because it is one of those peak times in our lives where our hormones swiftly change, much like puberty. So or um, post-pregnancy so, or, and in pregnancy. So I think that what we need to really recognise is the impact that stress is having on our lives as women and where that's showing up for us. But I think one of the times we see it most or two of the times we see it most can be when we're ready to have children and our fertility being impacted by stress and then this transition through perimenopause, menopause and post-menopause. And I can see women that have been in this sort of in this phase for twenty years with awful symptoms and they don't need to be, but they they are living with high stress and we need to we need to show the body how that isn't conducive with this transitioning through phases and, and cycles as women. I really appreciate
1: it and I think for many people listening to this, as simple as that sounded, so nice to understand. And even from a Steiner and a um you know, a beautiful uh, ancestral philosophies are always talking seven year cycles. I find that fascinating, even what we go through emotionally through those mm. cycles. Mm. One thing that I found very interesting, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts. My mum had a very challenging menopause. She had me, at she was pregnant at 16, had me at 17, three children by 23 um, pretty tough, stressful life, you know, not an easy life, solo mom doing all sorts of things for herself, t- three jobs, the whole stress, obviously. And when it came to menopause, she's she's had a really tough time. What I found fascinating when I said to her, you know, how do you think I'm going to go through this? Like I'm actually a bit worried. Now she had a three-day labor with me. I expected that, but mine were actually both three-hour labors, so very different but she said something that I've always you know, wondered and questioned and it probably got no medical term, but she felt that I would have no problem with menopause. Her words were that I am very much in touch with my femininity and I really embrace who I am as a woman. What would you say from an energetic, maybe spiritual point of view?
0: Does that make sense to you hearing that? Do you think that she resisted menopause? Do you think she didn't want to go through it? I would say,
1: for mum being a you know a full on worker and provider and doing everything and anything, it may not have even been a thought that crossed your head. It might have been an inconvenience more than anything.
0: Yeah, I think that this whole idea of the stress and the pressure that we put ourselves under and what that does to our sex hormones speaks volumes. And we, it's not even it, it's it, it's not woo. It's fact of what happens with our hormones is that our our body is listening to us all the time and we are creating the environment that we put it in whether that's the external environment or the internal environment and the emotional environment or mental environment and i think that is the biggest piece and i'm talking a lot about this at the moment i think we're living with after on the back of last year in covid we're living with post traumatic stress most of my patients are very heightened their stress levels are very heightened they're struggling with keeping a balance in their day-to-day life and they're triggered by the smallest things and so the reason I, I talked about that is I don't think we fully appreciate just how big it impacts stress on it has on our body and that we we can't you can't outsmart it you, you can't you actually can't no matter what you try and do so it's about Working with your stresses to allow you to transition, and so if and also our, our subconscious will just follow whatever you tell it, so if it's i I don't want to go through menopause, I hate my body, I hate menopause, I have all these symptoms, um you're creating a perpetual state of stress just right then and there, and that your body's totally listening to, so I think to speak to what your mum said, she's observed you embrace your body appreciate and understand how your body works and also there was probably a little bit energetically for you saying that's not going to be me like that is not going to be me and so I think if we make that choice then we do everything we can to keep finding evidence of why that's not going to be you and what can you do to change that to make sure I think it's I like that you've raised this point and I think it's really important to understand that genetically we are a blueprint of our mothers. And so we can use this information to our advantage no matter what it might be, whether it's menopause or polycystic ovarian syndrome, or endometriosis or whatever her challenges may have been, we can look to that and recognize that's our genetic makeup. Should we allow that to be turned on? But what can we do to prevent that from presenting? And that is simply a result of the environment that we put ourselves in. So if we are putting ourselves in an environment that is extremely stressful, obviously our nutrition is not as dialed in as it should be. We're burning the candle at both ends. Perhaps we're in an abusive or toxic relationship. We don't like our job. You know, I can keep on going you can understand that we're creating this environment that is just not conducive with health therefore your body will do the best that it can but when we can change these little variables they add up to being one big factor that can impact the way that our genetics play out and i think that's what you've gone and done based on what you've seen and i mean i can't wait to be able to pass on some of the wisdom already of what i've experienced i mean i had terrible childbirths and I know it was totally a mental thing and I can see that now. And so I would be able to talk to that and talk my daughter through that based on I was just scared. I was so scared and I'd done all the hypnobirthing. I'd done, my mum had quick lab, no, not a, sorry, her second b- birth once she was sort of, you know, knew what she was doing, very quick, very smooth. Mine were horrible, but I was really, really scared and I didn't create an environment that, that supported me and so I know now that that would be a very different situation based on my experience and I know what I could pass on to her and what I even pass on to my patients is that there's so much around childbirth that you know is so mental and we need to be comfortable we need to be supported nurtured I I didn't have any of that I didn't have any of that and I didn't know I needed that first of my friends to have babies you know um, listening to people I shouldn't have but you you learn and and so I again I have full faith that she'll be fine based on my experience around that. So I think it's it comes with a starting, it starts with a level of awareness. And one thing I've been talking a lot about lately, it's just being curious. Curious as to a different way of operating. And with being curious, you create some expansion. It's it's it allows us to be more open to possibilities rather than this closed in, asphyxiating belief that it has to be that way. And so I think just using, I love using the word curious with my patients. I just want you to be curious about what if it wasn't like that? and What would it feel like? And really inviting in these new ideas for them to be able to mentally create that, that shift in perspective.
1: I love it. And I think some of the things that seem to have been lost through our ancient culture and tradition is things like the red tent or women passing on knowledge, people actually spending time together, men out hunter gathering, building bonds and finding that using their testosterone as young men, using their ability to provide for the the village or the community. I think for me too, um, now that you say that, as an aromatherapist, I was so privileged Nat, to have Um, be a witness of six births before I had my own. And I was invited to be a part of that with the oils and work with the women, watch the men help the midwives or doctors and home births and, and hospital births. And I just, I look back on that and realize when I went into my labors, even though I did get scared and I did go into a bit of shock because of how quick it went the first time around. I actually kept reminding myself of what I had witnessed and how every birth is different, but there's this power. There is this incredible innate intelligence of a woman's body. And I'll never forget Danny's mum, my husband's mum, in my ear at one point when I really didn't think I could do it. And she's a hypnotherapist and a practitioner. And she was in my ear and she said, Darling, millions and millions of women have done this before you.
0: Yeah, you're not the first, honey. <laughs>
1: I'll never forget it. And then she just said, work with your breath. It's like the tide coming in and out. And I fixated on that yeah. as well as thinking about all the beautiful women before me and the women I've had the privilege. Do you think that's something that oh. we're really, if people get an opportunity to share that, it's like everybody closes off their births now. It's not for people to come and watch, but I just find it such yeah. a privilege.
0: hundred percent. But I think it starts well before this. I think it starts from the conversation of where did I come from? And really allowing this evolution of conversation, this organic growth in a small child's awareness about how it starts from the beginning right through to how it ends, you know, and we don't have these conversations. And I think it's very, very important that we bring this back, not just for the perspective of birth, but just about understanding our bodies as women and helping men understand our bodies as women but equally us understanding men as well. And so, I, you know, I'm very passionate about encouraging parents to speak to their children from the very time that they ask, mum, how did I get in your tummy? And us delivering age-appropriate conversation so that it continues to evolve with, with this beautiful conversation that doesn't, it's not just this bombshell that lands the day you get your period or in the lead up to getting your period. It's just this normal conversation of what is. And it's very interesting because we don't, not talk about other areas of our health. We don't shut down other areas of our health, but it has been a taboo subject for so long that it can feel really um, confronting to have these conversations for a lot of people who haven't had that experience. And so when I wrote Beautiful You, which was is designed for the 14-year-old, I had to have the conversation, How, however, with the mother and ask them how much of your reproductive and sexual health do you understand and and you would have been shocked by the the answers that we got. You know, forty percent of women didn't know the difference between their vagina and their vulva. And so I was like, well, how are you supposed to educate your daughter if you don't know the difference from the inside and the outside? That's it. You know, it's just a starting point, and it's not their fault. It's that they've never been told. There's well, never part of their education. So I really feel that if we were to we were able to have these conversations and let it evolve. It's not the elephant in the room. It just becomes what is. And also, it's another way of being able to continue to have the conversation of fertility and conception and childbirth and just, again, that rite of passage as women that we've disconnected from for various reasons. So I 100% agree that there just needs to be more. We need to see more. We need to hear more. We need to share more. We need to just learn from each other. That's what we're here to do. And we did this once upon a time, but we discon- I blame the pill. I really do. We disconnected at the time where, I mean, don't get me wrong, it gave women amazing freedom, but I don't think we realised it was going to disconnect us from ourselves at the same time on many levels and disconnect each other because we weren't needing to talk about our cycles anymore. We weren't observing symptoms or signs that are associated with our cycles so it became this big disconnect and only now we're starting to realize we need to come back together and have these conversations whether it's about miscarriage or childbirth or conception or menopause we need to be having these conversations to be able to support each other through these phases
1: it's an interesting thing because that disconnect whilst there's been a lot of freedom that you say that came with the pill there was also a lot of cost, as as you mentioned, and that disconnect. I mean, the days where we would bleed together or be in tune or in sync with one another and things like that. I remember um, a doctor saying to me once, as I was talking to her about menopausal symptoms and she was doing blood tests and things like that, and she was very quick to suggest HRT, and I just saw that as another, and I may be completely wrong, I just saw it as another Band-Aid. To me, it was like another and I don't know enough about it to know if that was true or not. It just didn't feel right to me. I'm not knocking it because some people say it's amazing. But when she turned around and she said something about, um, you know, the, the day that we decided as women to start having children older was also a big mistake we made. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, you look at it now. Women going through menopause have teenagers. And that's just, you know, imagine our husbands and partners and what they're (laughs) having to deal with. And and It did make me go, oh, my Lord. You know, normally our kids, if we'd had them in our late teen or early 20s, they would have been gone by the time we went through menopause. (laughs) So
0: How is that? And we probably would have transitioned a bit earlier through menopause as well, maybe. Potentially, I think our heightened stress keeps us, you know, keeps that there. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing if you want to have children later, but it is one reason why it makes it a little bit harder the older that we get because our hormones are different and potentially not quite where they're supposed to be. So we can work with it. We can work smarter and not harder. But to the point of HRT, HRT is just another form of the pill in a different form. Um, in the sense that it's it's trying to regulate your hormones in a certain way. And again, not here to say you shouldn't take it, but if you can start to look at, I'd say to women that are transitioning and finding that their menopausal symptoms are horrendous, just look to the months that are more stressful than others and look to the times or periods in your life that are more stressful than others and see if you can correlate your, your heightened symptoms with heightened stress. And I'm going to be fairly confident in saying, 10 times out of 10, it's a direct correlation. And so, I mean, I had a patient the other week. We tested her levels. Her doctor had said to her that she was in, in going through menopause based on her her blood test results, and, and I was able to confirm that looking at them as well. Then we did a whole lot of work, and she'd been through a really heightened, stressful time, had to support a partner through chemotherapy and just had, had a lot of stress. Now that she's at the other end of that, we tested her hormones again and her doctor said to her, oh, you're not in menopause anymore. You're in perimenopause. You've got to realise the impact that stress was having on, on your hormones. And she's not ready to clearly go through menopause, yet stress speeds everything up. But if it speeds it up, but it keeps us suspended there for longer. So really what's happening for her is if we can get her stress levels down and she's idling back in sort of perimenopause, it's not until such a time that she's ready to really transition that she will and she'll do that swiftly. But if, these, if the adrenals aren't able to operate in the way that they're supposed to, it just means we see these symptoms arrive earlier and last for longer. And that's what we need to be able to really try and support so that it's a very swift transition and not something that extends over years and years.
1: I love the idea of a swift transition, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel I've been blessed as well, um and for a number of reasons, but perhaps too, I teach self love I teach the whole power of what it means to truly look after yourself and self care and I'm sure we teach what we need to learn the most. It's a mm. constant reminder of walking my talk, and I think I'm very grateful for that, just before we go into more around the self love and self care. We, you mentioned men just then before, and I'm just curious as to whether or not you feel they go through the seven-year cycles and what are their symptoms or signs or, or um, I guess, cycles that they may go through?
0: Yeah. I Men, in my understanding and learning, and I'll bring everything back to Chinese medicine because that is my background, but we t- we tend to look at men in eight-year cycles, not so much seven-year cycles. And, well, I think we can speak to that. Boys tend to go through puberty a little bit later than girls. Um, Obviously, when they do transition, it's a bit more obvious than when girls transition, other than girls sort of growing breasts, Um, and, you know, that's really the only way you can see on the outside a woman changing, whereas men, their voice deepens, they grow facial hair, like it's a bit more obvious. Um, uh, I mean, men definitely have these cycles, although they're not quite as obvious as ours, and, then I think once they sort of go through that second cycle and they are moved into that sort of 16 years and beyond, um, it is a little bit different. When we look at men more as having a 24-hour circadian rhythm and that's kind of where that ends, whereas ours is more of a 28-hour, sorry, 28-day, an hour with an hour but 28-day cycle. So that's where we differ definitely. But the same influences and the same stresses that impact women will impact men, definitely. Um, And I mean, just to speak to the fact, men can go on and have children until they're much, much, much older than women. So it's not that they're not going through those cycles, but they're very gentle shifts. And I think it's probably more about their maturity, their emotional health, that that you start to see these shifts. And I think also where you see challenges arise often with men um, that are highly stressed and you can see some level of um, overwhelm and anxiety and, you know, other challenges like weight gain and low libido are usually the challenges that we see with men when their hormones are imbalanced, but they're not so much cyclic as they are for women. So they are less obvious. But I think for men, really checking in with libido is one huge check in for men um, when it comes to their hormones and their health and probably the most obvious place that you'll see um, hormone imbalance and then also weight gain is the other other thing that you often see with men um, where it's quite um, obvious where their hormones might be imbalanced. I don't treat a lot of men, I have to be honest. Um, I see the same things all the time <laughs> but not men so much. Um, but I do think it's important to have the conversation around men's health equally as what it is for women because we need each other. We all need to and, you know, we could certainly operate, I think, from a much healthier place if we're all able to support each other in that way and and I think for women we often end up looking out for our partners often um, and we're the ones that are recognizing that something maybe isn't quite right and prompting them to go and look into that or to, to get the support they need they're certainly not good at asking for help or recognizing these shifts and they often I think they just keep on putting one foot in front of the other and so you know, that's where we differ as well. Our nature as women is to nurture. And I think fulfilling that role by observing is really important. One thing we
1: touched on very briefly around fertility, which does involve both men and women, I may have my stats wrong on this, but according to the Australian Fertility Association, one in six couples will have problems with fertility. Um, It's something that if you ask a woman in her 50s from school, they don't remember that. I don't remember many people having fertility issues when I was younger There's a whole lot of things nowadays: obesogens, endocrine disruptors. There are so many more factors, not just low sperm count or women's irregular cycles or the pill. What other things are there to be really considering in this day and age that do affect our hormones and sexual reproductive health?
0: Yeah, I think going full circle to where we started talking today, and that is definitely we are going through, or we seem to be going through puberty earlier and earlier. So starting with looking at stress levels as a teenager, stress levels as a pregnant mother, and also just hereditary factors is important. All those factors that you're talking about in terms of external chemicals and drivers of hormone disruptors trigger various things to happen within our bodies that we've never known before. So know I'll always talk to the the parent the expecting mother about how important it is to care for herself during pregnancy in my experience and this is more anecdotal than anything but I don't think we know enough about it and I think that there needs to be more research around this but I am seeing a lot of young girls presenting with precocious or, or premature puberty from really young ages and so if I can I always want you to ask yourself why with anything with any symptom with any any diagnosis not just oh I have this why do I have this like how what is going on that is instigating or triggering this for me and I've I suspect that for young women who are and and men who are developing or maturing earlier than what we would consider normal and the normal average age used to be 13 when I first started in the industry it's now 11 11 is the average age that we are seeing girls get their period and start to transition through puberty. But I am seeing girls as young as four and five that are presenting with precocious puberty where they will start to be growing pubic hair, start, you'll start to see body odour. And there can be serious reasons why that might happen. It can be involvement with the brain and the pituitary. But all the girls that I have seen have not had that presentation. And I've been able to tie it back to a heightened stressful event either whilst in utero or early in the in the child's life that has what i believe to have triggered the adrenals to start to develop too early and that's what heightened stress does we know that so i've been able to in all the patients that i've had the privilege of supporting through precocious puberty really look to the why why is this happening and of course there's a hereditary factor and we've gone through how we can support our genes better to not allow things to present but I can definitely see this shift. Sorry, I can definitely see this trend where heightened stress, trauma, abuse, some type of big event for a child has seemed to be the consistent theme with these patients that I've been treating. Therefore, how can I actually support the adrenals better and see if we can bring bring those levels down to support their bodies long term, so that maybe they don't transition earlier, maybe they'll catch up, and maybe things will become more normalized and they'll get their period at what would be considered a more normal age. You know, young girls getting periods at seven, eight, nine, we know that's not that's not right. So um, this is something I think is really important to have this conversation around because I don't think we realise the impact, again, that stress is having. And stress isn't just you running late to pick the kids up or being busy or under pressure. That's one type of stress, but stress can be, a toxic relationship it can be gut health it can be liver health it can be what you say to yourself every day when you look in the mirror can be the job that you hate it can be the messy house that you live in it can be the environment it can be toxins it can be all of these factors that we've been talking about they're all stresses and we need to be able to first of all be aware of them and secondly get curious as to how we can create change with some of them to create some variables So that we're not instigating these, you know, these problems that occur as a result of elevated stress hormones, specifically cortisol and adrenaline.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that then. I believe that the foundation of all of that is the ability to love and care for yourself and making sure that you put yourself as a priority. And that's not to say that you become selfish, but it's more about the more you care for yourself, the more selfless we seem to become. And I admire that wholeheartedly in women that become more and more aware of it happy spouse, happy house, we have this whole beautiful scenario where the the king and the queen, the mum and dad, you know, if we're harmonious, we're taking care, we're having conversations, we're not stuck on technology and all of the different things that we know upset the apple cart, so to speak. In your humble opinion, when we're not feeling good about ourselves and when our hormones, if we think it's the hormones doing it to us as opposed to maybe our environment and all the other things we've mentioned, How do you teach that as a part of your medicine, as a part of your practice to really get people wanting to love and care
0: for themselves? I love to use the example of you thinking of the most capable person that you know. And if you think about the most capable person that you know, for me it's the mum that has four kids that looks like, not looks like, I know she has her finger on the pulse the one consistent thing I see for women that present like this, and it doesn't mean that the wheels don't fall off every now and again, but they tend to really have it together. They carve out time for themselves. And so in doing that, and like you said, it's not self—it's not selfish. It's actually selfish not to because you can't actually be anything to anyone if you're not able to support yourself and to nurture yourself in the right way. And so I use this example of... And we all have this person, I have. we all have this avatar person in our mind that when I say this springs to mind, that you look at them and you go, oh, man, could they do no wrong? They get it all done. Um, and I really think it's a consistent theme is that they carve out time and what that does is it allows them to manage their stress better, which we've been talking about. And in doing that, it allows their, their cortisol levels to be in check and when our cortisol levels are in check, our sex hormones are happy. We're more balanced. Cortisol and progesterone don't love each other and progesterone is that hormone that is in full swing in the second part of our cycle, but it also helps us sleep. It helps our bones. It's a natural diuretic. It makes us feel calm. And so when we don't have enough of that, we can definitely see big shifts in that second part of our cycle where we can feel a lot of PMS symptoms whether that's headaches or pain or mood swings, irritability, however that's presenting for you. But that's probably the most common thing that I will see in terms of our hormones and where it starts to show up. Now, that can have a knock-on effect to many other areas, but I, I feel like when we're talking about stress and the impact it has on cycles and our health as women, that's definitely where it's showing up for many of us. And so, yeah, we have to A, Recognize when we're in overwhelm, we have to do that. We have to be able to stop and go, you know what, I'm back here again. And then we have to be able to be curious to think about what it would feel like if we didn't allow ourselves to go down that slippery slope again. And I think the best way to do that is to get a pen and paper and write out what you're actually worried about. Write down what you're stressed about. Or have you got 17 things on a to do list in your mind that when you actually write them down, you go, oh well. Actually, only one of those things really warrants stress, and the rest I'm just stressing about because I'm already stressed. And so, if you can do that, I had one of those mornings this morning where you know I've got like all these bits that I needed to get done, and I logically know that if I sit down, i would probably get it done in half an hour. Yet the procrastination and the lead up and and that to do list running around in my head had me overwhelmed. So I need to stop, and I need to. And if overwhelm continues day after day after day without checking in that becomes a really large stress for us and so yeah we need to check in we need to write a list we need to look at what we need to get done and what we're actually worried about and what doesn't warrant worry and we need to then pose the possibility of what if I didn't stress about this what if I didn't and if I didn't what would it feel like and it's as simple as that it's as simple as saying what if I didn't it doesn't mean that you're not going to end up back there again doesn't mean that because you're human and you will but it means that you're again creating these pockets of time throughout your day where you're bringing your cortisol and adrenaline back down again and therefore the more we do that the more we operate from that lower that 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 lesser state when it comes to our stress hormones and we can have far more balance but we have to invite it in no one's going to do it for us we've got to do it ourselves
1: I really love how you accept that you are human, (laughs) that you're not the superhuman that gets it all done. And one of those, those women that we just talked about the superpowers, but I'm also very curious around the fact that you've mentioned the incredible importance of, of taking care and putting ourselves first. How do you do that? And what's your day look like? And maybe in amongst that, you could give us your definition of self-love.
0: Yeah, my, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? As we go through motherhood our days are not necessarily dictated by us Um, but how can I create pockets where it is I think that's what's really important and so I used to laugh when I used to get on podcasts and people say oh what's your morning routine I'm like well is it that my children are prying my eyeballs open or did you know someone wet the bed in the middle of the night I don't have a morning routine other than I Eventually, as the kids got older, obviously we can create more space for ourselves. And my morning routine would—I'm sure many people would be horrified by—but it works for me. And so I now try and get up before the kids and check emails first because I do a lot of work um, in the U.S. and I need to be able to answer emails before the end of their day. So my literally, I get up, I make myself a coffee, I check my emails, and then I start the process of getting the kids ready. Um, and out the door the nice thing is they're getting older so there's much less attention needed on getting them ready and so that's a quicker you know hour or so rather than that used to be a bit of a, a bit of a regime a bit of a process but the non-negotiable at this point is once they're at school I allow half an hour and I'm ready by this point as well I get myself ready whilst the kids are getting ready but once they're at school I allow half an hour at least where I sit and I will do whatever is the right thing for me in that moment do i need to meditate do i journal do i do both do i just sit there do i do i whatever that is um and that's really important to me because that really sets up my day and i feel like that's actually become my superpower through some of the most stressful phases of of my life as a mum and as a business owner and so then i depends on the day but i um in terms of what i do for myself at least two days a week, I'll have a personal training session straight after that. At least two days a week, I'll throw myself straight into work after that. And then there's a couple of days which I've got some flexibility around. But that's how I set up my day and start my day. And then from there, who knows what's going to be thrown thrown my way. Um, but that's that's definitely a game changer. And then at the end of the day, it really depends. But I actually have this little routine in, in the evenings. I mean, I'll have a shower before bed, but I'll often put on an audio book whilst I'm in the shower and listen to that. I've, I've found audio books are like my, the best thing that I've ever found in my life. And I actually have five or six that I just play on repeat and I don't add any new ones to the mix. And they're just reinforcing beliefs or philosophies or ideas that resonate with me. And I find that listening to them over and over again, I hear something different every single time. And so I really love that process of listening and then inviting in, you know, what I'm grateful for before I go to bed and what I really want to achieve in the next the next day. And it can be a bit of a check-in. And that doesn't mean that there are times where this routine goes by the wayside, let me tell you right now. It does. Um, I know when you know, I feel like I'm hitting a, a new level of rock bottom. I I have this superpower that I can bring back in again. And it's just a matter of me being aware that maybe I haven't been doing that enough. Um, and so that's a loose routine, but I do prioritize my nutrition. I fast most days. I find that works tremendously for me. Try and listen to my my body and what it needs. And, you know, I think that when we can, it's, it's difficult because when we're in a state of overwhelm, we can't listen to what our body needs. So we have to clear that overwhelm to be able to listen. And I think that's definitely what meditation and prayer bring in in the morning is that ability to, to, to tap in. And I resisted this for years, let me tell you. I was that person, everyone's talking about meditation. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just can't do that. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this. I know I have to, but I don't want to. And, you know, it was this resistance that I had and now that I've bought this in as a routine over the last three or four years, I'm like, oh, my heavens, it makes life so much de- like easier. Why did I do that to myself?
1: <laughs> you punished yourself. Yeah, so the funny thing about overwhelm, just before we go to your definition of self-love, the funny thing about overwhelm, when you really look at it, It is only really when you write down, and I loved your suggestion, by the way, I wanted to reiterate it, write down the things that are overwhelming you. Most people find there's five to seven things max on the list that they're getting. And usually it's the top one or two that's really pushing their buttons. Like you said, I just really wanted to reinforce that because I think for many of us, we go, oh, I'm so busy. But actually, you know, it's a real interesting to get curious about what it is that's really pushing your buttons. But thanks for sharing. I I know I've always been asked my routine too, and it's never the same. It depends on
0: where I am in the world. i depends on what I'm doing. But I think we have to be flexible, and I think that that can be a challenge for a lot of people too because they like the routine. I'm not a routine person anyway, so, you know, I mean, my kids, people used to say, oh, what's your your routine? What's your bedtime routine? I'm like, my children know that when they get a bath, it's bedtime after that. That was the routine. Like that was where that routine ended and that was what worked for us. And I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I need flexibility. That's definitely who I am. Um, And so, yeah, you know, when you can let go of the idea that I'm supposed to have a routine, that for me works talk to us then
1: about your definition. This is the self-love podcast. The reason why I do it is to continue my up for a chat conversations I used to have with Cindy and and Karen that we've had you as a beautiful guest on before. But now it really is. I wanted to hone in on the power of what this actually means, because everything you've said, I personally believe when you love yourself, there's a lot of self-respect. And when you have self-respect, there's no way you would hurt or say things to yourself or your body that would, you know. Be a detriment to that. So, in your humble opinion, what do you think is self
0: I think it comes back to that awareness that we spoke about just before, being aware of what I need to make my to make me be able to wake up in the morning and be happy to be here. To not, you know, that extends from everything from my look, my career, my choices, um, right through to how I look after and nurture my children. Um, so, I think. Awareness for me is where self-love starts and if I can start with awareness, then I can look at what do I need in any moment because self-love's going to change like what you need to, to in any given moment, just like your routine, is going to be different. And also I think the thing that we haven't mentioned as women, we are different every single day of our cycle, which means actually only 12 times a year roughly are you the same <laughs> on any given day. So what you're going to need is going to change tremendously, but really I think being able to have this body awareness and this body literacy, I think, and this awareness of what I need today and that starts with me asking myself, what do I need today? Do I need to exercise? Do I need to eat or do I need to not eat? And sometimes if I'm really stressed out and overwhelmed, eating on a stressed stomach is a disaster. So it's just listening to what I need to hack my day to make it better, so to speak, to make it easier and also to make it fun. I think that's really important is having fun.
1: And following you on Instagram and and the things that you do, you make me laugh (laughs) so often. I freaking love it. Um, Just one quick point on that. You know, the sad thing is uh, you've probably seen it yourself. A lot of people don't even know what a stressed eating stomach is, or they don't know what it's like to be healthy, to understand that that's stress. And that's where I'd love people to start to follow you or people like yourself, people that, you know, are paving the way and giving us simple ideas, rituals, thoughts, techniques, recipes, um, any sort of um programs and all of that. If people wanted to get more of you, if they really feel that they've got some need to be around you with their daughters or their family or themselves, How could we follow you, sweetheart?
0: Ah, um, I'm Nat Kringudis everywhere. (laughs) Um, NatCringudis.com. I've got a, first of all on there, I'd invite anyone, if you are wondering if you are suffering, if if it is your hormones, because often we don't know. um, I have a really awesome and very simple worksheet that you can go and profile your symptoms to work out what your hormone imbalance might be. And it's very valuable because it allows you again to become curious. It's not going to give you a definitive, you must do this because we're all very different, but it's going to allow you to A, look at what your hormone imbalance might be, and then B, be a little bit more curious and go down the rabbit hole of self-exploration. My website has... Years and years and years of content on there. If you use that search bar and you don't come up with a solution, please message me because I want to know what I've missed out on putting on there. I love it when someone's like, Have you written about XYZ? I'm like, No, that's something we haven't. But there's not much. There's not much left there we haven't covered. So just use that search bar. You'll find out information. I'm all about giving information. I want you to have as much information as you can possibly have. And then, of course, being able to utilize that in a way that's simple and easy that you can integrate into your life i'm nat kringudis also on instagram um and i love as we've spoken about a few times i'm gonna come back as a professional instagrammer because i just love being so i'm a social person and i love the social interaction of instagram and i love entertaining and i do like making people laugh to be honest um so you can come and hang out over there i'll tell you a funny story really quickly i had to speak at a mother's day event last friday And I'm in Melbourne, so we spent most of last year locked up. And I, about half an hour before I was due to go to the event, I just had this (laughs) moment where I realised, now just pause for a second, I run our school's Mother's Day event. So I know what it's like to get a couple of hundred mums in a room that haven't seen each other for a long time. It just dawned on me. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually... Probably a tougher gig than what I've realized, because it's literally a room full of women that have not been out of the house socially, like this in this capacity for a year. They are not going to want to listen to anything that I have to say, and so I, I reached a new level in my career where I pretty much was like stand-up comedy. <laughs> pretty much stood up there and made them laugh about their bodies for forty minutes. <laughs> It it's it was I rose to the challenge. It's a new yeah. level. I can't say that I'm gonna put it on my resume, but it was pretty fun, I have to say. It was pretty fun. I think
1: I saw the pictures of that and I was thinking that is a challenge in itself. Apparently women have to get through, and this is something I read, it might have been Alan and Barbara Pease, but women have got about thirty to thirty-five thousand communicative words and gestures to get through a day, as opposed to men's seven thousand. Wow. Now add that up over a year if all they've talked to is kids. And a husband that's got through his quota on a Zoom call <laughs> or work, <laughs> so I can only, only just imagine what that would have been, and the cackling, yeah. and the, and then add alcohol into it.
0: I know it was, it was actually so fun. And then at one point, when I sat down and ate my lunch, and the organizer said to me, "I'm really conscious of your time," and I'm like, "What is the time? I don't know. I'm having too much fun here." <laughs> like it was, it was, it was very, very fun. But I think. Um, this is the other thing that we need I really feel and it's probably appropriate just for this point when we're talking about self-love I definitely need other women around me to help fulfill that part of me as well and being social and just having that community to support me when you know when I need them and equally when they need me and I think that's definitely part of it
1: no, I really appreciate it, and I feel very honored that I feel like you're part of my community. The fact that I can text you, message you, you know, get hold of you, I it's it's a privilege. My story. Oh, I and
0: love I'm, that. Anytime. Uh, time. Very... I love. I love. Kim's texts because they're always so kind and beautiful and loving.
1: <laughs> I had a lady once when I asked her to be the MC of one of our book launches. She is a top radio announcer in New Zealand and she opened her speech when she was the MC and she said, You know, I knew she was blonde the minute I got the text or the message. She said, But saying no to Kim Morrison would be like kicking a kitten. And I thought, Oh, that's so cute.
0: <laughs> she was adorable. That's true.
1: That's true. <laughs> so I'm very, very grateful. But, you know, for your time, knowledge. I know that you probably have these conversations daily. We haven't spoken too much about fertility, preconception care, um, contraception, but I want people to know that you have got your own podcast. Please tell us about that. And it's been going for a long time.
0: Um, I have the Wellness Collective and the Period Party. The Period Party actually has been going for a really, really long time. I've just decided to step back from that, which is a little bit devastating, but we can't do everything and be everything to everyone. But there's still eight years and it's still going, but there's still eight years of content on there. So you want to go and check that out. The Wellness Collective as well is more of a newer podcast and more general when it comes to our health as um, not just women, that podcast is something that men would like to listen to as well. Um, But yeah, it just, look, we all have different ways that we are able to absorb information. And so if podcasting is your thing, I'd love to invite you over to check that out. Yeah. Thank
1: you, sweetheart. And just finally, is there any workshops or programs or your book? How do we get hold of that? Anything and everything. I just want everyone to be able to absorb as much oh, as they yeah, can. Oh yeah. I you.
0: have the most exciting thing at the moment. I don't know when this, this episode going to air, but I'm, I have been running book club for the last, this will be our third book club. Oh my gosh. How much fun. I'm I want to be part of that. Book club. Is it, so, do you have to be there live? Well, you know, well, we do it live, but we don't. But then you get the call. You can, you know, like anything. So I'll tell you what it is, right? So it's four weeks of us hanging out together. We read my book. We go through that. But I also give. Uh, I don't know. It's just fun. We just hang out. I answer people's questions. We've had women. We've coached through getting pregnant whilst they've been a part of book club. Um, we've had. Same thing, women that we've coached through menopause. Even though my book is definitely designed for young women, I think there's something that we can all learn out of that and just reconnecting with our bodies again. Book club's pretty fun, and we start the next one in a couple of weeks' time. But my they run every eight weeks. Well, at the moment they run every they run every eight weeks until that there's not enough people in there to run them every <laughs> every eight weeks. But I think it's just a really great way of being able to have access to me. Um have a community that supports you and also being able to just, I think being able to pick my brains in real time and me learn about someone over four weeks is quite powerful. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. And,
1: and they can get access to that and join that uh, on your website. Nat Great. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. You darling. Is there any, um, is there a favorite quote that you are really into at the moment?
0: Yeah, I really need to go and look for another one, but it's so cliche, but it speaks volumes to me. And that is just that absolute cliche quote of be the change you wish to see in the world. And I think I bring this into everything that I do, whether it's it's just leading by example. I think we've got a responsibility to always realize that someone's watching and I see it as a privilege that I've created a platform where there's lots of people watching and I don't take that lightly. And I see that there's a responsibility with that. But, you know, there's also my daughter's always watching me or my staff are always watching me. And I think being this example is really important. So if I know that, that, that they're my um, reference point or my, not my scorecard, but they're the ones that are watching on, it really motivates me to be kinder, a better person, stop and think before I say things and and have a little bit more kindness to deliver but even if this extends to things like being the flippin basketball manager like who wants to do that when you're full-time mum but again I really feel like we can't sit here and want to have an influence on the world if we don't get involved in the world so whatever that might be big or small I think it's really important that we are able to just be the example.
1: I love it. And just finally, beautiful, just as we finish up, is there a final message to the beautiful listener of the Self-Love Podcast?
0: I think we really touched on this, but I really want women to appreciate just how, first of all, they're capable of doing everything 100%, but something has to give, and this is where we really need to get aware of these stresses. And if we can get aware, we get to use stress as our superpower. We get to use it in a way that takes us where we want to go and not where we don't want to go. And that's by simply, like I said, being aware and then using that as motivation to get what we need with as much ease as possible and playing that what if game. What if, what if this was easy? What if this, what, am I, what if I'm making this whole lot harder than it needs to be? What if it was that easy? And just the what if question, I want people to ask themselves what if? It's just, it's so expensive. It, it's, To me, it is is immediately calming and we can definitely bring more of that into our day.
1: And really, it's summing up what you said at the very beginning. The question, what if, is really all about curiosity. Yeah. I love it. Beautiful, Nat. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you dearly. Thank you so, so
0: much for being on the show. You're so welcome. I love you too. And thank you again.